Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So today's sutta is on the Nidana Sutta. Um, it's a sutta on the three defilements, how to recognize them and abandon them, which is really the whole point of the Buddha's Dhamma. Um, and through gaining insight into the three marks of existence, a lot of listen in, uh, in the Buddha's Dhamma, as you know, um, insight into the impermanence of all things, insight into the not-self characteristic, all residing in um, and establishing dukkha in the world. So by personalizing the events of our lives, we make something out of our life that it was never intended to be, which is an exercise in constant eye-making. And this is typically unrecognized. The word ignorant is applied to it. And ignorance, uh, included in the, in the word ignorance, is the cause of ignorance, meaning the compelling need to ignore reality. And in this case, the reality of what it means to be a human being living in a world that is always changing and so prone to dukkha. And as a result of that, we become greedy or averse to things, which is two sides of the same coin, which means that our, our thinking is diluted. Uh, Jen gave an excellent teaching on the Vatupama Sutta this past Tuesday, uh, subtitled of, of Stained and Pure Cloth. And that the metaphor is so relevant because when we're constantly seeking to establish me and get what I need in the world, and we create aversion because of something that might take away from what we think we need in the world, that develops greed and aversion rooted in deluded thinking. <clears throat> so while our minds are very complicated, and recognizing and integrating the Eightfold Path seems difficult. It, all of the Dhamma comes down to just this one thing. I don't understand who I am in relation to the world. And because of that ignorance, I grasp after things that I think I need. And I create an identity over those needs. And I also want to avoid anything I have aversion to. Um, and around greed and aversion rooted in delusion and delusion in this case is not just a, um, a generalized delusion of how to live in the world because most of us live in the world rather successfully but there's a disappointment and a nagging um, sense that something is missing and what is missing is understanding the nature of what it means to be a human being in an ever-changing world. So and there's a beautiful metaphor in here, excuse me, where the Buddha uses a seed to make a point. And this relates also to the Loka Sutta, the, the Sutta on uh, karma, where the Buddha teaches that karma is a field, consciousness is the seed, and craving is the, moist, the moisture. So we keep up our karma, so to speak. And karma is not punishment, and it's not something that we don't have any control over. In fact, if you want to know what your karma is, just look at your life. Look at Krishnamurti used to say, look at the life you're living. 
take a good look in the mirror. That's your karma. And again, karma is an inevitable. It's something that we create for ourselves. That second leg of that consciousness is a seed, which means what we're holding in mind is going to determine what we grow in this field of our own life. And craving for things, greed and aversion is craving, is what keeps that stress-causing and, uh, and distracting quality of mind. When we recognize that we're doing this, again, this is not something that is, that, um, is bestowed on us by grace, by just being the right person or being a good person or being engaged in saving the world. None of that matters to the Dhamma. What matters to the Dhamma is recognizing and abandoning these three defilements, all rooted in eye making or conceit. The Nidana Sutta. The Buddha teaches friends. There are three causes for unskillful action. An unskillful action is an action that is contrary to the Eightfold Path. Greed is a cause for unskillful actions. Aversion is a cause for unskillful actions. And deluded thinking is a cause for unskillful actions. But that's it. This is all we're dealing with as a manifestation of our own ignorant views or deluded thinking. Then the Buddha says that any action, any action born from greed through conceit or eye making will bring further confusion and suffering as our individual life unfolds. Any action. So any action covers a lot of action, doesn't it? What the Buddha is saying is that the unawakened human being is constantly prone to, to confusion that leads to ongoing grasping after. We're always trying to resolve this, this aspect of confusion. I remember when I was a, a, um, you know, a young kid, 12, 13, 14 years old, and I was very, very angry at life. And it, was, it wasn't because of the external circumstances. I had a relatively stable family, and you know, we, we had uh, a lot of food to eat. We had a lot of presents under the tree on most Christmases. But I was miserable. And I didn't know why I was miserable. I didn't know why I was so angry. I didn't know why I drank so much and used a lot of drugs. But it was because I was so confused about what it meant to have a human life. And nobody could explain it to me. And I, I really didn't know that was a problem. I thought the real problem was that I wasn't established well enough in the world. And that's why bad things kept happening to me. And it wasn't any of that. It was just because I was ignorant of Four Noble Truths. But the Buddha, again, just to make the point, any action that is born from greed will bring further confusion and suffering as individual life unfolds. Everything we're doing now is reinforcing that ignorance of Four Noble Truths. The Buddha continues, any action that is born from aversion through conceit will bring further confusion and suffering as individual life unfolds. Any action that is born from deluded thinking through conceit or eye-making will bring further confusion and suffering as individual life unfolds. Any action that is born from deluded thinking. So <clears throat> we can think that the Dhamma should only be applied in, in somewhat random and specific areas of our life, such as um, maybe I'm having difficult relationships with certain people. 
Uh, maybe I don't sleep well enough. Maybe I think I have a lot of stress at work. And that's fine. That's the entry point into the Dhamma. But the Buddha is teaching us here that any action rooted in deluded thinking is going to bring confusion. So one of the things that I've noticed, and we talk about it here, uh, David and I just had a conversation about this on the way here this morning, is that many of us as Dhamma practitioners will apply it to many areas of our lives. But what goes unnoticed is the exceptions to the Dhamma that we say, well, it doesn't really apply here. Right in this action, this, this um, circumstance or situation, worldly situation, is simply too big for the Dhamma to be applied to. And we've go, all gone through three or four years where it would be easy to think that what's going on in the world is much too big for the Dhamma to bring to. And of course, the Buddha taught the Dhamma for all of life and all of humanity. In the Loka Sutta that I just mentioned, the Buddha's first words upon his awakening was this. I looked out on the world and the world was aflame. Aflamed with what? Aflame with the, with the fires of conceit or eye-making. The same is true today, isn't it? The world has not changed one bit in 2,600 years ago. The first noble truth is still relevant, which is dukkha occurs. A little bit longer way of saying that is as a consequence of having a, a human life, there will be dukkha. And here I'm learning that it is my actions that give rise to the stress and suffering that I'm bringing into my own life. And so the, to, to the, the path out of doing that is, of course, this eightfold path that leads to the recognition and abandonment of greed and aversion. John. Yes, David. The world is the same from the very first man to today. Same flame, but isn't the issue the flame within our own mind? Yes, yes. That's, Thank you, David. That's what our responsibility is. Yes, the the world being a flame is a consequence of the of the collective ignorance, you could say. But we're not here to resolve that. The Buddha didn't teach salvation. We're here to recognize and abandon it within ourselves. And if we, if we fall into the trap that many, many people do, in fact, it's, it's, I'm going to get into this deep talk, no. But we think that I need to fix you or fix the world. And if I can do that, then I'm good to go. The opposite is true, isn't it? And the Dhamma teaches us it has nothing to do with what's going out in the world. It has everything to do with what's occurring in my mind. And it is my mind that creates these fires of passion. Not you, not the world. The world is prone to that. It's up to me how I live in that world. John, can I ask a question? Please. Um, how is it that knowing and seeing um, who we are as a human being is kind of like the antidote to eye making and delusion like what is it that we know about our, ourselves as a person such a such a great question that leads that, that ties into this the buddha teaches in the datu vibhanga sutta that every human being is made up of six property the, the six property person and so that's the four elements earth wind fire and water right we, we know that that's what we're made of everything in the universe or in the world is made up of earth wind fire and water 
And we also possess the property of space. There needs to be something for earth, wind, fire, and, and water to manifest within. And so there's space that there's space for uh, in my body for, for cutouts for my eyes. There's space so I can breathe and I can digest food and eliminate food. That's all part of the space property. We'll go on and on about that. But that's all. When we look closely at ourselves, what are what am I in this moment? Am I am I a um, an accumulation of all the, my experiences and all the stuff I've been lucky enough to hoard and keeping my back closet so nobody else takes it? Or however else I see myself, I need to have a new car every year, the fanciest clothes, et cetera, et cetera, or the world's best haircut. All of that is rooted in the delusion that I need to make myself in the world. The Dhamma teaches us that I don't have to justify or explain or establish myself in any way. I'm a human being. That's it. I don't need to justify that. None of us ever have to justify who and what we are. And when we integrate the moral and ethical factors of the Eightfold Path, we know that we can no longer contribute to harming myself, and so we can no longer harm others. That's liberation. That's the liberation we're looking for in the Dhamma. It's not to resolve the issues in the world. It's to end the conflict in my mind. Thank you. Well, great questions. Drake, does that answer your question, though? Uh, yeah, it does. Thank you very much. Yeah, so that is such an, an important understanding that we are just what we're made up of, but we can't add anything to this, especially ideologies, because those are the, those are the ones that are going to distract us most from who we are. And there's a lot of that going on, a lot of grasping after ideology. Another way of might be saying that is virtue. What's a virtue? Something that we're doing, I can't think of the word anymore. Virtue signaling, you know, that, that's rooted in an ideology, isn't it? And it, it, that will always prove debilitating to ourselves, no matter how helpful it might seem in the world. It's creating conflict in our mind and usually antagonistic to someone. And so it's, it's just not a good way to live our lives. Let me continue. The beautiful metaphor. Just as a healthy and viable seed, when planted in poorly prepared soil and attended to improperly, will prove unsatisfactory. In the same way, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking will bring actions that will develop unsatisfactory experiences, or dukkha. This relates to, to having an impure or a pure mind. And so we're feeding that seed with what? With either a defiled mind or a mind, a pure mind that is rooted in understanding. Now, the Buddha continues, when actions are born that are free of greed, free of aversion, and free of deluded thinking, confusing and unsatisfactory experiences will not develop as individual life unfolds. That's the secret to everything. To everything. When actions are born that are free of greed, free of aversion, and free of deluded thinking, unsatisfactory experiences will not develop as individual life unfolds. That's true liberation, isn't it? And it's liberation not born of attaining a position or getting a whole big pile of money that it can never be challenged. It comes through understanding what I mean in this world in relation to these three defilements. Do I recognize greed and aversion and where they're rooted in, in my own deluded thinking? And when I can do that, as the Buddhist teaching here, then I can simply abandon the thinking, the consciousness that causes all of that. 
Just as a healthy and viable seed, when planted in well-prepared soil, meaning a well-concentrated mine, and attended to properly by incorporating the, the Eightfold Path or integrating the Eightfold Path as the way we live our lives, another way of saying that is refined mindfulness, that will grow and increase in abundance. In the same way, one well-prepared with the proper conditions will develop lasting peace and happiness. A person ignorant of their own actions, born of greed, greed, aversion, and delusion, must experience the result of their actions. That's karma. But again, it's not something that is imposed on us. Karma is not some grand universal behavioral modification scheme to be reward and punishment. Karma is the present moment unfolding of past intentional actions moderated by the present <clears throat> level of mindfulness. And if my present level of mindfulness is rooted in ignorance, then I will give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. If the quality of my mind is rooted in and integrated with the Eightfold Path, then this moment will contribute to a next moment, always going towards awakening, always holding the potential to awaken, to gain full human maturity, excuse me. Another way that you hear me say this often is each moment, each and every moment of our life, from birth to death, holds the potential to awaken. And that is the most important, <laughs> that is the most important aspect of each moment of our lives. Is my mind inclined towards further ignorance, further delusion, further stress and suffering? Or am I holding the qualities in mind established through the Eightfold Path that in this moment is inclining my mind towards awakening? Because there's nothing else that is more important in this moment. Now, as life happens, we might think that this moment is way beyond the Dhamma. It's too distracting. It's too hurtful. I need too much out of this moment so I can't bring a not self-characteristic or a no self-characteristic. I have to bring my whole being into this. No. The understanding is no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what I might think is an exception to the Dhamma, because it's a big thing at work, or it's a big thing out in the world, or it's a big thing in a relationship, or a relationship is not working. I can't bring the Dhamma to any of this stuff. No, that's the stuff we have to bring the Dhamma in, because that's where our eye-making reside. And so you could say this is a teaching on common blind spots to awakening. And again, those blind spots will always be rooted in a certain ideology that we're holding. And usually we're associating that ideology with at least a small group of people, sometimes large groups of people. Individual, as individual life unfolds, right? This is not, this is not a teaching on a collective consciousness that we're a part of and we're all aspiring to some um, evolutionary growth in consciousness. That, that new age of Aquarius, I grew up in that, by fifth dimension. They'll remember that song. We have my whole life, we, we are supposed to be on the verge, this great breakthrough in humanity and consciousness. The same things are happening in this world as happened 2,600 years ago. We have evolved in great ways technologically, but in the way that we, we relate to each other on the planet, we haven't learned anything. We still fall into hatred. We still fall into killing each other, we, whether it's through, through um, 
uh, canceling people, right? Or all the other ways that we engage in hurtful behavior because our minds are rooted in ignorance. In my lifetime, I'm 67 years old. There has not been one day in that 67 years where there was, there was not at least one war going on. And usually five, six, seven, eight, or nine. Not one day. And so I don't think we're pessimistic going into this wonderful new year. In fact, the, the optimism resides in the Dhamma that I can understand why and I can extricate myself from that, which is the only thing we should be doing in this world so that we are no longer contributing to the conflict in the world. The Buddha continues, <clears throat> one who has developed wisdom and ended ignorance of Four Noble Truths, truth, this individual abandons greed, aversion, and delusion. This person experiences clear understanding and lasting peace and happiness. I'm going to read that once more because this is what we're doing in Dhamma practice and nothing else. For one who has developed wisdom and ended ignorance, this individual, hopefully me as a, as a Dhamma practitioner, this individual abandons greed, aversion, and delusion. This person experiences clear understanding and lasting peace and happiness. That's the end of the soup. So by recognizing greed, aversion, and deluded thinking and abandoning it, I am now an awakened human being, fully mature. And just think about that explanation and relate it to immaturity. Perhaps the greed of, I want one more cookie. I got my hand in the cookie jar and mommy slaps it because I've already had three. That's, a, that's a, a, an immature reaction to greed, wanting more. But the same is true when we are 18, 19, 20, 21, 67, and still want more cookies or another piece of chocolate cake or a better, a better looking spouse, or a bigger car, or a bigger house, or a better job. Or, I want peace in the world today. I want to end all racism today. I want to end all of the, the terrible things that human beings do today, and I think it's my job to do. No, it's my job to end conflict in my mind so I don't introduce it into the world. We free our minds of conflict, so we no longer introduce conflict in the world. If our minds are conflicted in any way, especially in an ideology, but in any way, we know we've lost our way. And what do we do as a Dhamma practitioner when we find we've lost our way? What do we do? Does anybody have an answer to that? When I know that I've lost my mind in this moment? Somebody's got to have Hey, Sangamon, take a breath. That's it. But it's a breath within the framework of the Eightfold Path. I understand I'm making. I understand that it is I'm making that has caused all the suffering in my life. And that is a true statement. No one outside of me has caused suffering except for the way that I perceive things and build fabricated mental constructs over those things. I do it to myself. We all do it to ourselves. And when we stop blaming others or worldly conditions for the way I'm feeling and the way I'm thinking, now I've gained control of my mind. And how do I do it? Through jhana meditation and the refined mindfulness of the Eightfold Path. And now my mind is sovereign in the world. It is individual as it's supposed to be. 
it is well protected as the Buddha teaches. Protected by what? Protected by right view. What is right view in this moment? It is, this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. And in that way, in each and every moment of my life, I am simply a reference point to what's occurring. But a damn wise reference point, a reference point that knows how to see what's occurring. Dukkha arises. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with Brian. Brian, what do you think? How's your defilements today? How's that for a question? How are my defilements today? <laughs> um, they're rather subdued, I would say, at the moment. Um, is I, I can't I can't hear and think about the defilements without thinking about the three marks of existence, and it just goes back to Anatta struggling with impermanence and wanting that impermanence to be different, yep. which just results in dukkha. So, um, taking the the conceit, taking Anatta out of it, what's there to be averse or greedy about? Yeah, there's no just media. This. That's right. Thank you, John. Thank you, Brian. That was outstanding. Jeff. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Um, Jeff. Very, very good teaching. Appreciate it much. I'll, I'll remain silent if I may, though. I'm glad you joined us today. Sarah. Uh, very helpful teaching. Thank you. I'm glad you joined us, Sarah. <clears throat> Drake, how are you today? <clears throat> oh, uh, good, John. I I was just curious about um, ideology and how that uh, plays a role in creating a self and leading to suffering. Uh, it, it, it's what did you mean question. by that? Well, and yeah. any ideology. Um, I'm trying to think of one that would be rather esoteric, <laughs> people. Any ideology, really what I'm talking about is the ideologies that we create in our minds about how the world should be and really how um, uh, how other people should be different, or maybe maybe myself, when what's occurring, it, it's a foolish thought to think that other people out in the world should be different. Because, why? Because they can't be. It's what's occurring. It's how people are. That doesn't mean that people can't change. It doesn't mean that I, I can't change. But in this moment, the world is as the world is, right? Wasn't that Forrest Gump, right? The world is as the world is. Why? Because it is. It doesn't need any other explanation. And so I don't need any other explanation, except if I notice that my mind is distressed, it's because I'm holding on to something being a certain way. So an in, in ideology might be... Um, uh, An ideology is anything that I'm holding in mind that I think should apply to the world when it's not. And I, I'm trying to be cautious about naming something specific because somebody's going to take objection to that. And that's kind of the point. But an ideology might be that. Ah, just to, just to use it because it's out there today. In the United States, I am a liberal, liberal, and people say this, I'm a liberal, and everybody on the other side is evil. Or 
people on the right, conservatives, think that the world is going to hell and it's because solely of liberal views. Those are ideologies. None of it is true. John, is yes, John. How, how about you're either with, with us or you're against us? Yeah, that's the same thing, isn't it? That's an ideology. And anytime I, anytime I take a position, even if it seems like a, a loving and healthy position, but if I'm taking an antagonistic position against the way you're living your life, which, by the way, you have every right to, now I'm creating conflict where there never was until I introduced it. Correct? I may be righteous or right. You know, you could self-righteousness is another word for eye-making, isn't it? So anytime I adopt an ideology, and it might be it might be an ideology of my favorite sports team, but it works up such a frenzy in me that I end up fighting with people who believe who like other different sports teams. That's an ideology. It's silly and really of no consequence, but of a larger consequence is what what I am holding in mind is causing conflict in me and so in the world. So it's anything that I an ideology is anything that I'm using for eye making, but it typically results in something um, manifest in the world with a group of people. Does that help, Drake? Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, so it's kind of like ideas and beliefs about the way things should be instead of the way they are. Yeah, and, and I should point out, this isn't a, a, um, uh, a passive engagement with the world because it can seem like that. But what, what the Dhamma brings is the ability to be mindfully present for each and every moment of my life, no matter what's occurring. So those things that might be occurring that in the past I held a view that was against what was occurring. Now is still manifesting in the world because the world goes on, doesn't it? But I don't lose my mind over it. Right? I don't lose my mind over it. Excuse me. So it's like you, if, if you saw that things were unfolding in a way that would result in a, an unfortunate outcome, you could still take action to try and <clears throat> um, have the situation work out favorably, but in a sense, you're doing it without the notion of just based on your own self-centered greed. It's more like uh, just interacting with the system and then allowing it to be uh, what it is. And however it turns out, it's okay kind of thing. Yes. A, a human being who is now awakened is a reference point to what's occurring. But with all their um, human faculties, including love and compassion and honesty, integrity, that these are all human qualities that become more manifest when I get out of the way. And I think we anybody that's practiced Adama for more than a couple of weeks has recognized that, that, that they're simply, I'm simply a better person, period. I remember when I was still um, not quite sure about what the Buddha was teaching and how to implement in my life and thinking maybe, maybe I'm just adopting something that I don't quite understand. But even then I, I recognize it, it's making me a better person. I'm more at peace in the world. This is before I was, I, I, I bought in completely, but I had to recognize the benefits. The less I, I bring myself into the world, the better I am, the more liberated I am, the more that I can simply be a reference point to what's occurring. Now I may be able to address it in a meaningful way rather than an antagonistic way. Right. And that, that changes everything that changes everything in me. And it may change everything in the world, but that's not the point. 
right? So that if I want to end conflict in the world, I end conflict in my mind first, rather than how most people, how m- most people practice even their own spirituality religion is, I got to fix you first, then I'll be good to go. And it never works. We've been trying to fix, I've been trying to fix you since I crawled out of a cave. And all I've created is antagonistic conflict, right? Most all wars, not everyone, well, you could, all wars are rooted in greed. And so they have to be rooted in deluded thinking. And most of that greed is rooted in protecting a religious point of view. Again, most, not all. But again, that's just an ideology. And since we're talking about it, again, I don't mean to bring everybody down on the last day of the year, but think about that. That if we if we could end greed and aversion and deluded thinking, peace would prevail on this planet. But the, the Buddha taught us that this is a world that is characterized by dukkha. It's characterized by ignorance of four noble truths. Period. But I can understand that. I can develop a common peaceful mind through understanding. Drake, you um, you're next. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? No, thank you very much, John. That was great. I'm glad you joined us today. Mary Beth, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, John. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you and that I'm happy to be here. That's it. Glad you're here. Anthony. Hi, John. Um, I, do, I do see kind of a connection between uh, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, like to the extent we can reduce or eliminate that in ourselves. I think that... Um, it, it's almost like throwing a stone in a, in a pond. It's got a ripple effect and it, and it, and it influences other people and actions. And, and that's kind of how I see karma in a way that, you know, that that is our karmic response. If that is our, if that's the karmic action that we put out there, we get, we get, we get it back. And just the, the yeah. converse is true. Also, if we're out there manifesting greed and aversion, we're, we're, we're influencing other people and actions around us. And that creates a negative karmic response. Yep. Yeah. So I think it seems selfish on a surface level to say, I'm just going to work on myself and not worry about the world. But actually I do think it influences the world in in a positive way. Yeah, of course it does. And again, we've, we've all felt that even just within our own circles and our own family, us as a Dharma practitioner, the calmer we are, it seems like the people around us are much calmer. But again, because we're not we're not antagonizing others, even if it's inadvertent antagonism. Antag what's the word? Antagonism. Yeah. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. Dama teacher Jen. Hi John. Hi everyone. Hi, Jen. Um, <clears throat> Something that you said today. First of all, man, you are killing it today. Yeah. (laughs) Really, really good teaching. Um, And the questions, Drake, thank you so much for your questions. Um, Really just getting to the heart of the matter. Um, Something that you said was like a nugget that I really appreciated where uh, it was something like the 
you were talking about when you were a little kid and the um the ignorant view of believing that 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 the path to happiness is more establishment and um just that sense or whatever it is the programming the conditioning that we have to believe that um getting gathering establishing is what is going to make us happy is ever present and so easy to like fall into but then also like be influenced by other people being there and like so that question that drake had where you know how is it that understanding is sort of the salve for um you know greed aversion and deluded thinking that that little nugget sort of is is this asking this or sort of the same thing where in order to release these mind states of greed aversion and deluded thinking we have to release that tendency to grasp after things yeah we have to be present with what is happening in the mind, which is if you're trying to release greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, it's greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. So you just have to be present with that, which is, it's like, so, you know, it feels like a paradox. It feels like, you know, you can get into that place of it has to be one or the other, but it's, it's both things. Anyway, I'm not, I don't know if I'm making sense today, but yeah. You always do. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Good morning, Slav. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you for your teaching. It's uh, really awesome. And uh, I will a little bit summarize just a few words. So greed, aversion, and delusion. It's great. Uh, suffering any action from greed uh, aversion delusion creates suffering so basically what we need to do like dharma practitioner we just take a moment pause take a breath and we not add it to this greed illusion and um, aversion we not subscribe we just take a breath and that's it that is that, that and that when we're thank you, Slav, when we're mindful of our breath, we're in that moment, we're interrupting, at, at least as long as we're mindful of our breath, any further eye making. It is a way to we first we do it on our cushion. You know, the eye making on our cushion would be being distracted by feelings and thoughts arising and passing away. The four foundations of mindfulness trains us to not. And when we can do it on our cushion, we now have control over our minds. We can take it off our cushions. Thank you, Slav. Dhamma teacher Tom, we're out from, from Thailand. Hi, John. Um, hello, everyone. Happy New Year. We're, I'm a few hours ahead here. So it's going to be um, two and a half hours away from the big 
the big um oh, yeah, you're almost big, uh, 12 chimes of midnight or whatever um anyway um yeah great great teaching i love this sutta and i haven't read it in a very very long time so um yeah i agree with jen you're you're killing it today <laughs> um interesting just a couple of things i think because i'm in thailand at the moment i've i've actually been to visit a few temples and it's just this absolutely stunning architecture and yeah. um went to one just earlier and there's some monks there that are giving out like holy water and like splashing people with water um you know and i'm looking at it being like it's just water <laughs> obviously i didn't say that um but it's just really interesting how there's so much wisdom in these teachings and it's it's but and, and yet there's they're, they're not they haven't been adopted around the world and obviously that's such a shame but they haven't yeah. um so much easier to sort of set up a religion i guess than to really work on your mind <laughs> Uh, it's such a tough job that we're all trying to do here. Um, so we should, as you always tell us, John, just go easy on ourselves. Um, so um, yeah. Anyway, um, and and just just a, just a quick question, if you wouldn't mind um, repeating that the definition of karma, as you um, oh. as you said it earlier, um, I, I was just I just I don't think I got it all all down. So would you would you mind just repeating that? Not at all. Um, karma, I think this is the one you meant. Karma is the present moment unfolding of yeah. past intentional actions. Meaning, what that means, it's not, um, it's not that somehow there's an energetic that's manifesting in this moment. It simply means that our conditioned mind, which we've conditioned ourselves. So karma is the present moment unfolding of past intentional actions moderated by the present level of mindfulness, meaning whatever, whatever I hold in mind. And so if I'm holding in mind the same ignorant views, it obviously, I mean, it's just logic that I'm going to keep creating stress and suffering and confusion in my life. But if in this moment I'm holding in mind or this moment is framed by the eightfold path, now I'm inclining my mind towards awakening. So karma, again, it's not something that happens to us. It's something that we do to ourselves. Got it. Yeah, it's the reason why the why the why the Buddha teaches karma in this way, and I do, is because it's such an important it was such an important part of the the spiritual religious um, practices that everybody almost everybody during the Buddhist time and a lot of people today their practices were influenced by the Vedas and the Upanishads, and everybody created their own variant of that and called it something else. But it was all rooted in that type of thinking. Um, and it also even relates to baptism. You know, that was the, the Vatupama Sutta with the Buddha says, what, you know, what, what is water? Water is just water. It can't do anything except be water. Um, I think I might have lost it just a little bit there, Tom, in my explanation. Uh, but did I answer your question? No, you did perfectly. I'm just saying um, karma is the present moment unfolding of um, past intentional actions moderated by and then there's a word that i missed between by and mindfulness moderated yeah, I by i can't give you that Sorry. i can't present give it's going to cost you present, present, moment, present moment mindfulness present present level moment. Of mindfulness. Yeah. Yes, or current mindfulness again so whatever i whatever i'm holding in mind in this moment is going to determine my experience of this moment yeah, right yeah, 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 and if and yeah. i mean we've all had experiences where 
people in our lives, we might have had an argument with them. It might have even been nasty. And the next day, you know, we're, we're good for, with each other. That's an example of that. You know, my threat, my mindfulness during the argument was an agitated and confrontational quality of mind, wasn't it? The next day, that quality of mind is different. And so I am. But when I gain control of my mind, I can gain control of it 24-7. And again, that's, that is the most natural human state, even for some of us, that might sound impossible. But human beings weren't designed to be um, constantly distracted by eye making. It's just what happens. But we also have something, uh, a human being figured out the way to understand that. And that's called awakening. Siddhartha Gautama did it. And he taught these teachings that, again, it's so important, I think, to realize that the world hasn't changed in these 2,600 years. And that's not a negative thing to say. And it's not a positive thing to say. It's a realistic thing to say. And so what causes stress in my life, in my mind, is when I live in an unreal way, an unreal view of myself in relation to the world. You know, and it's always been that way. When I finally understood that, that was the big aha moment. But it was also like, yeah, okay, that's, that's pretty obvious that I'm the one that created the problems in my life. And other people said that too. <laughs> I didn't like it when I said it. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Andrew and Debbie, do you mind being on camera? I know I probably ask you every time. Is it okay? If you'd rather not, I, wanna, I don't ask Becky because she has to be on camera. You don't, but you do not have to be on camera if you don't want to. But Becky is. Hi. There's Becky. Hi. <laughs> I think the last last two teachings, I listened to Jen's teaching, and now I heard your teaching, um, really were uh, remarkable. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, remarkable. And I think the pure bright cloth is of course related to deluded thinking and to free ourselves <clears throat> of deluded thinking. In other words, to get out of our own way. We really have to understand in a in an experiential way. Yes how our mind works. Say that again, that's so important, in an experiential way. We have to be able to understand in an experiential way how our mind works. So to me, the, the absolute, if I can use Jen, Jen's word, nugget of the Dhamma is to continue to meditate and because that is the only way that you can see your own mind working. And the more you are able to see, and this is what I got really from Jen's talk, it was just so, it, it it brought out this point 
so absolutely clearly and concretely to be able to talk about seeing how your mind works in a concrete way seems seems just you know like a, what's that word dichotomy but that is what you have to that is that is that is the dharma yeah. before you can stop deluded thinking you have to understand it you have to see it and you have to experience seeing it yeah. and experience seeing it end and the more you do that the more you are able to do it yeah and so that's what I got out of the last two lessons. That's thank you good. very much, Jen and John. Yeah, thank you, Jen. <laughs> outstanding. Really, what's it? it Vatu Pama Sutta, Jen's talk is posted and linked in your newsletter, and I'll get this up later today. Hello, Andrew. Uh, good morning. Well, uh, certainly a, uh, a deep lesson, a conversation that deserves another listening at some point. Uh, but one of the key things, it's really got a simple one, is that uh, a key to mindfulness is just breathing, the breath, and consciousness of the breath. As I was meditating this morning here, I opened my eyes for a moment, and I saw the word kawaii on the back of this gentleman's shirt. <laughs> and then my mind went to kawaii where I've been. And then as I... My mind was out of control, so they, then I just decided I have to start breathing again. And then I came back to uh, where we're all headed. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's it. Well, I got to say, when you that's said it. Kauai, I went there for a few minutes myself. <laughs> Driving down the road where you see the sleeping giant. You know what I'm talking about. Up in the hills. Thank you for that. That distracting memory. Human <laughs> <laughs> memory. Was that all, Andrew? I'm sorry? Was that all? Yes, sir. Thank you. Hi, Debbie. Hi. It's good to be here. Thanks for the teaching. And thanks, Becky, for that succinct kind of summary on kind of what I, what I was thinking about. Um, and I just... Um, you know, it's great too that the technology, the, what we're learning in terms of science, backs up everything she just said about yeah. that we're carving new <clears throat> Now, <clears throat> when we're meditating and when we're, you know, starting to become aware, yeah, and each mm -hmm. moment of awareness brings us more to where we want to be. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was really great, and um, and I just also really connected to when you, the, uh, the idea of pausing because the, the breath and the pause brings the awareness yes. to the eye making yeah. and the eye making is so tied into othering what I call othering when you know there's the other Buddhist the other this the other that yeah. and the ideology like you spoke to and if we can continue to be with the awareness from the meditation that we've learned that we can be aware of the eye making which which causes the conflict because yes. we're othering, so we're we're causing conflict, and, and um, so anyway, that just all became more succinct in my mind and was helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Dara. Othering is a good a good phrase too. It kind of like implies clinging to other yeah. other things and other people and other events. And other. 
Okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to make that my word now, if you don't mind. <laughs> Dharma teacher Ram. There you are. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes. Another brilliant teacher. Thank you. Um, I was thinking about the, you know, greed and aversion is, is a pretty easy concept to get. Um, it's just wanting things to be different than they are. Um, and I thought, well, how does deluded thinking fit in there? <clears throat> and deluded thinking is nothing more than seeing things other than they are. That's right. You know, That's the definition, isn't and it? it? And it, it, it's, it has the same effect. You know, you, you solve the problem. You just see things different than they are because now we don't have to want them to be different than they are. Yeah done the job yeah um, and so yeah and and that seeing things is is external you know um you know my boss hates me because he keeps giving me these lousy jobs to do yeah. um or my children adore me and they would never take my last beer out of the fridge uh, <clears throat> and but also in seeing yourself you know yeah, we're the greatest meditation teachers that walk the earth. So yeah, solves the problem. Yeah, there's no more. You don't have to do anything anymore. Yeah, except be a human being. Yeah, which is its own reward. And again, and being a, being a reference point to what's occurring. <clears throat> Why would anybody want to be more than that? You know, mm -hmm. just creates stress and suffering for yourself. Again, it doesn't mean that you that you become a, a passive lump sitting on a cushion the rest of your life. In fact, you you would likely be much more engaged, but in very meaningful ways. And I can tell you that life becomes a lot slower and a lot simpler when you mm -hmm. discard the things that uh, do not lead to calm. Thank you, Ron. I'm a teacher, Kevin. Good morning, John. Thank you for the teaching. Uh, Thank you, Sangha, for a good discussion. You know, I think it's a useful sutta and that and, and you know where we've been going and where we're where we're headed with the next structured study. Um, you know, greed aversion, deluded thinking are sort of the componentry that uh, that arise or that are available or that are present and, and the sort of friction that causes them to ignite for lack of a better and, and for us sort of get burned in contact with the world you know that that, that occurs in our mind yeah like you yeah. say the dhamma is a practice of restraint and that was beautifully described by becky and apologies for my wardrobe choice andrew described it well also <laughs> you know he was a six property person in Kauai, as i normally am when i put this shirt on and naturally where does my mind and heart go to a place as special as Kauai is it's, it's hard to not and you come back to the breath you put the shirt on have a little smile you, your heart's a little lighter and you go about your day and, and sometimes you know you may have a couple of thoughts about Kauai and, and your mind is active but by coming back to your breath and realizing that it's natural to you know be attached to Kauai a little bit been there I, I think will so. you stop uh, saying Kauai yeah, I keep, no, that, now it's an example now of, I'm in my Maya Canyon so of, of eye making right we have to go back to Kauai everything's got to be all the time it's instead of appreciating the fact that you've been there it's pretty rare to be there for a lot of people not a lot of people have been there i mean 
certainly a lot have, but to actually have been there and, and cherish it and, and not need it to be any more than that is pretty special. So it's an example of yeah. how we can practice restraint in the moment, how we can come back to our breath and say, this is not me, this is not mine, it's not who I am in the moment. That's, mm-hmm. that's how we can go through life easier and not be uh, sparking every time. You know? mm-hmm. Thanks. That's a good way to put it. I wish I was in Kauai. Though. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll the teacher, David. And I'm all set. Thank you for the teaching. Yeah, I'm going to be going wild tonight. <laughs> I got a wild New Year's Eve plan for me and Bodie. <laughs> That's why. Um, yeah, I, the uh, the things we're doing as a wise Dharma practitioners are getting rid of the things that hurt us. You know, they hold us back. They create in our minds a lot of stress, but it's all occurring in our minds. It's not out there, and it has nothing to do with uh, whatever ideologies we might be attached to, hope, hopefully none. And it has nothing at all to do with worldly conditions. You know, we're always in control of our minds, unless we're not. And that's up to us, too. Um, it's an auspicious occasion, I think, uh, you know, just to transition. New Year's was never a big deal for me, ever. But it's important to note, you know, it's at a time that we can look at, okay, what, what did we do this year? And... You know, I can say as a Sangha, we've, we've really come a long way. And every year we've been a Sangha. Um, the Sangha itself seems to um, grow in a depth of understanding um, every day. But it's good to acknowledge it. You know, we've, we've all come a long way. We've all been through a lot in the last couple of years. We're all still here with a relatively calm and peaceful mind. So what we're learning is, uh, and it's related to the Sutta and all the Dhamma, is radical acceptance of who I am. And why shouldn't I? You know, why shouldn't I accept myself? Again, think about that. As a, as a mature human being, there really is a, a little bit of pathology and not, right? I should accept myself no matter what I am. And if there's things in my behavior that don't fit within right speech, right action, right livelihood, I simply let them go. And in that way, I've liberated myself from my entanglements in the world. That's the whole point of the Dhamma. I hope you all do that before the end of the year. So, <laughs> Anybody have any questions or comments before we finish? Hey, just, just to say thank you, John, for um, all of your um, leadership of the Sangha and teaching and generosity of time and everything this year. I think, I think we all appreciate it. So we all get so much out of it. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for really saying that. You know, you almost got me got me crying, but not today. No. I know you always try. All right, well, uh, um, finish good meta as we always do. You know, I should I never give this introduction, but the Karaniya Meta Sutta is is the Buddha's. Um explanation or um, coloring the picture of an awakened human being. This is how an awakened human being or a fully mature human being acts. You can close your eyes and become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. Let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. 
And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. <coughs> Excuse me. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with the boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again in this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Happy New Year, everyone. Peace. Happy New Year. All right, Ron. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Thank Jen. you, John. And happy anniversary. Oh, thank oh, you. Happy <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> thank you. See you, everyone. See, See you, Anthony. Bye, John. Say hi to Bodhi, please. I will. Thank you. And say hi to Bodhi. I will. <laughs> thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.